There she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aye, sir. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the 300th episode of the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host... This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Your podcast of looking out for the evil bad guy, the supernatural meanie, and finding out there's no gravity. Zero thirteen in space. <laughs> no. Thank you, Pixie. <laughs> Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, uh, where we are going to be exploring Bureau 13 once again, but this time we're talking about doing adventures and investigations in space. Considering the number of UFOs that are using reactionist drives, we have at least one of those in that sucker. So there, there's not going to be no drive plume or anything like that. It's going to be a reactionist drive, which means it's not going to have a heat signature you can see from a, from Alpha Centauri at that point. So that that's one benefit right there. It makes it harder to spot the well, thing yeah, that takes but, off. But still, we're going to have because remember a lot of this technology that we mm-hmm. have, all this various pieces of starships and whatnot, Robertson's the one that's going to have to either piece it all together to make a coherent whole or reverse engineer all this technology to make it into a working spacecraft. That's still going to take time. And granted, let's see, Robertson's been with the Bureau probably since like the 80s because mm-hmm. he first came out in the, in the 92 edition. I know that. So he's been with the Bureau now for almost 30 years. I think all the, the science and technology that the Bureau has had access to pertaining to space travel, he would have cobbled together a starship by now, and that might be something that you players and GMs might do. Okay, Robertson has a working starship. Use whatever rule system you use. <clears throat> There's plenty of OGL space stuff. Um I recommend LPJ Designs. Lewis J. Porter Jr. did a lot of good stuff uh, 
what was it? Starships of Mass Destruction was the name of the series, and there were like three PDFs for that. Yep. Get your starship made. Have Robertson say, okay, I've made this. We need a test flight. Or, you know, the alien scenario that somebody's come and, you know, we found this alien in, in a field somewhere or this alien artifact. You'll have the spaceship that you can do it. Or you can do it via the fringe paths. Or yeah. you can do it via magic. Using all magic, like just divination and gate spells. I, I'd imagine that the uh, the first use of, a, of an FTL ship would be to deal with some alien that you know, he died on Earth or he brought some artifact, and we don't know how to deal with it because it's not human magic. It's not right. magic we're used to on Earth, and we need to get someone from where he came from to come back here and deal with it. So uh, maybe our, our trip is to figure out, okay, where did he come from? Okay, that's outside the 40 light years, so we're going to have to take a little trip. I just happen to have, and there and there is the the SS Botany Bay. Uh <laughs> Waiting to go, you know, they head out there and take a team, you know, take, you know, take a team out there to go find this alien race and convince them to come back and at least find someone, a shaman or someone who knows their magic and so forth, which means you need to get, make sure you have stuff that allows you to translate and, and, and don't, and not translate. I, this is where magic comes in, magic translators. So you can have, so you can be able to talk to these people, hopefully. You know, and figure out, and it's in dealing with their culture and and their supernatural. This could be a made. This could be a um, a long term campaign. Well, Just yeah, because to... you're going to have if it's alien magic. Mm-hmm. Pro- and I'm trying to recall. Okay, Project Geller was the sign division. Project Magnus, mm-hmm. Department Magnus. That's the bureau's magic R and D department. Mm-hmm. Project Magnus would be all over doing magical translators and magical mm-hmm. spacesuits and magical devices that allow you to survive in space if there's a mishap. Because if you're doing magical star travel, even through gates, you're going to need to, and even magical beacons, so you, okay, we have a beacon on this world. We send out divination. Oh, the beacon pinged, okay, we know, go back to that world, that's where our our LZ is, our landing zone. So yeah, uh, Department Magnus would be all over making all this new techno-magic stuff in order to facilitate space travel because some alien or alien artifact has come to Earth and they have to deal with it. And they have to get somebody to figure out what, what, okay, we found this on our world, we know it comes from here, what is it? I, I can see them coming up with things. Okay, well, we didn't come up with a spacesuit per se. What we have here, and he brings out a bottle of bubble soap and some soap. Wash yourself with the soap, and the and the vacuum won't hurt you. Blow the bubble and put your head inside, and you can breathe for about ten hours. Wow, <laughs> that's magic. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't know. Maybe make a necklace of adaptation, like in you know. Yeah. There you go. That, yeah. In various things, you know, we'll have to have a time limit, though. If it lasts forever, then there's no drama. You know, realizing, okay, I got, oh, okay, how far away is the ship? 15 minutes. We have 10. There's a a good book. If you want magic items, magic items to deal with space, uh, Paizo has People of the Stars. 
mm-hmm. and it has all sorts of like astro astronomical navigation devices, stuff to protect yourself in space. It's maybe a, a twenty-five or thirty-page book, but it's for Pathfinder, so it's OGL compatible, and that gives you magic items that you can use if you're mm-hmm. out exploring among the stars. Yep, and. Don't forget, you know, this is a magic universe, and Cthulhu is out there. And so are the star star creators and all the other various space gods that have, you know, inflicted their their torment on Earth. Oh, yeah, Cthulhu, as we call it. Oh, yeah, he is out there. His spawn may make it to Earth, but he himself is still out there. And if the stars are right... You might just bump into him. In that case, that your best thing to do is just turn around and run. Just, <laughs> but since you're talking about uh, creatures that could exist out in the great vastness, remember, any kind of creature that doesn't require normal breathing and other things can be a starfarer, can be uh, used by starfarers. You know, I mean, not just robots, but also vampires, uh, golems, uh, Frankenstein monsters in a lot of cases, um, any kind of a, um, uh, well, uh, rock creature, like, you know, an elemental. Um, there's probably a few more that I'm not thinking of that, uh, go, and, and of course you, you have to ask yourself, how about ghosts? You know, uh, this ship is haunted. This spaceship is haunted, but it's supposed to be because they're the crew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, uh, it's the old derelict go- space thing, yes. It's a ghost ship, for real. Yeah, intentionally, yeah. Yeah, because they don't require, you know, they're going to live forever, so to speak. You know, they don't require any food or water or anything else like that. They can move around inside, interact with each other, and get the job done and send the information back if they, if that's their, especially if you somehow make it so that's their unfinished business. So they're compelled to do it. Okay. Um, yeah, and and then of course you know we're we're talking about you know a lot of these normal stuff, but I um, I'm also I mentioned her before C J Shara in her Merchantshire series, there are the which are a, a methane breather, and meth they may be a, a collective consciousness colony sentient something like that who's completely and totally unknowable. They're they're so alien. They have a hard time. They basically they they speak in matrices. They are hard to de- decipher. Doesn't sound like a very interesting uh, protagonist in your story, John. No, but they they tend to come along and just do things. And they they basically they're they're more of a force of nature than anything else. Uh, but I was thinking of you know if you have that you also you know hey there probably is a uh, the Tamelon may have put a. Um, a portal on one of the moons of Jupiter, not because what's on the moon, because what's in Jupiter, the Ju- the Jovians, the big balloon creatures that sail around and eat space and eat, uh, you know, Jovian uh, equivalent air plankton, they may be sentient. Hmm. You know, of course, they're never going to leave Jupiter. Uh, they're they're you know, unless they go in really big ships. Uh, and, and under a great, great pressure, Bre- big pressure containers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, folks, the, the the big red spot on that's a storm that is 
thousands of times bigger than the Earth. Uh, no, it's three, Jupiter. To say Jupiter is a turbulent atmosphere is yeah. to be a master yeah. of understatement. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the Great Red Spot thinks like three or four Earths. Yeah, it would be incredibly hard for anything Bureau made to survive in Jupiter's atmosphere. Just it would get ripped apart. Yep. Yeah, the, either the magic runs out and whoop, there you go, or you know the the adamantium spacesuit you're wearing, basically you find that it's melting point. Yeah, you, you were talking about the getting ripped apart thing. Look what happened to was it Shoemaker? Let me not. Well, yeah. It actually hit that, and the spots just heal over. You mm-hmm. can see where it hit. But it just, it went away after a while. Unfortunately, it didn't hit as one solid mass. It actually broke apart. Yeah, we were expecting something truly awesome to happen to Jupiter, and it it didn't, as it turned out. It still was awesome. I mean, each each one each one of those spots were the size of the Earth. Yeah. That that comet was not the size of the Earth. No, but at least one of the pictures of the fireball that, that was visible to one of the probes, I think one of the Voyager probes, I think, on the way out there, that you were able to spot, see one of the fireballs, was the size of the Earth. Oh. Yeah, yeah see, that, that's something we have to deal with when you're dealing with Bureau agents going out into space for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Scale. Yep. You have to realize that there are going to be gas giants. You know, when they when you say, oh, yeah, Jupiter, the great storm, you could fit like a thousand Earths over it. Then you have to realize that it's it, it's going to make your your bureau agents and possibly the players just realize what they've gotten themselves into because of the fact that you're going to have these gas giants where they are thousands of times the size of Earth, and you're going to have creatures going through space that make great whales look like guppies, mm-hmm. and you're going to be having massive star empires that have been active for thousands of years and their warriors are greater than anything could earth could produce because of either just natural prowess or science and technology you're going to be dealing with alien forms of magic that just are totally incomprehensible to a human mindset which may include non-Euclidean geometry such as Cthulhu. Yeah. Uh, you could be dealing with alien forms of thought that just the human mind would interact with it and just shatter. Let's say they use telepathy, but their telepathy, their alien mind and your mind are just so incompatible that you end up with, you know, having to take somebody back to Earth and basically putting them in exile because their brain is essentially gelato. These are all things that, yeah, you don't want to do this to your players, but the fact that this stuff can happen is going to alter your Bureau campaign if you decide to do a Bureau 13 in space type campaign arc or full campaign. You have to imagine scale. And we've done a podcast like in the first season or two about scale. The quote from Douglas Adams, the late Douglas Adams, is quite quite apt here. Space is big. It's much bigger than you really think it is. So even yeah. though you have all these wonder, wondrous things out there, 
for the most part, it's empty. I'm running a Star Trek Pathfinder campaign. Now, we recently did an episode, Fringeworthy and Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Now, I had to explain to my players, to which Josie's one of them, in the Starfleet Battles Prime Directive map, Earth, the area, the Federation space is broken up into hexes of 500 parsecs across and deep. I'm having to explain to them, you cut one of those hexes in half. That is still 500 parsecs deep by 250 parsecs, you know, from that halfway point to the edge of the hex. There are still thousands of planets and systems in that half 500 parsec hex. That's just 500. And then you imagine that the galaxy is 120,000 light years long. They're not out there. And even just how big the consortium is, that's still probably hundreds of light years. That's probably may fit in one of those 500 parsec hexes. Scale is important to deal with when you're dealing with Bureau 13 in space. Do you want to deal with just the system? Do you want to deal with the range that the Fringe Path Star Hub platforms do? Do you want to shoot to the other side of the galaxy? Do you want to shoot 1,000 to 10,000 light years away with the consortium? Do you want to do the Enchanty thing and you find a red cube and the reader and end up in another galaxy altogether? Scale is extremely important in a Bureau 13 space campaign because of just how big the universe is. And we truly do not know. I mean, it may it still be expanding. It may be contracting. There are differing scientific theories on this right now. Yeah. I mean, to get your head around, within 100 light years, there's, 10, there's over 10,000 stars. You know, that's... You know, that's that, 33 parsecs, folks. Yeah. That's a and lot. Just, yeah. Going out into space for people dealing with with Earth supernatural and then having to go out and deal with alien supernatural, your characters will be changed because everything that they have known about the supernatural and everything, oh, we can just research, you know, Chinese hopping vampires and European dragons and Yanomami shaman and all of a sudden we've got this ichthyoid wizard that uses, yeah. you know, this type of magic. And everything that you and, know goes right out the window. And you realize that the supernatural just got a whole lot bigger. Yeah. <laughs> There's one thing that you guys haven't mentioned, and that is the effect of space travel and going to other planets and bringing back pieces of other planets to the supernatural itself and possibly Bane usage. Mm. Uh, you kind of talked about it a little bit, Trav, when you said, you know, you go to an alien world, you don't know what's going to be a Bane for their supernatural because you don't have any history with it. You know, it could be, you know, it could be some entirely different thing. But in our own solar system, um, if you uh, in any way want to use Dick Pilata's novels as a reference, um, at one point uh, somebody uh, who had uh, a lycanthrope 
touched a moon rock and basically turned into a you know mega uh, werewolf. Basically, got a, became a supercharged werewolf because it was like them touching the sun source of their their condition. And and so they they were trying their best to go and and steal these rocks from everywhere they could get their hands on to form an unbeatable you know crew uh, pack let's say and uh, and so the the bureau thirteen teams had to go and stop them from doing that. Well, that can also happen from a number of other things. Uh, you know, we know that Venus is of course very powerful in in Greek mythology. It's the place you know. Uh, it's a symbol of Venus, the goddess. Well, what if you were to get some rocks from Venus, come back, and somebody got their hands on those and decided to make them into a love potion? Ooh. Okay. You know, you might have the, you know, the, you might have the ultimate love potion that could make anything fall in love with anything, or something a little bit more nefarious. Um, let's say you put it into some kind of a mind control potion or something now you've got you know now you've got utter control over wide you know uh just a little bit you know i mean the kitchen witches you know they they use little you know bits of whatever you know because you know they're inappropriate well let's say one of one of those guys who usually makes small mistakes with their inappropriate things got their hands on a on something that was elemental in power because of where it came from well, that could happen. You know, you could get some, all of a sudden, you know, little, you know, uh, uh, J- uh, Jessica, you know, uh, from, uh, you know, the circle, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the circle house group, you know, becomes, you know, the master witch of the, of an entire state, you know, and all will fall before me, you know. Eh. Yeah. Little, little known fact about the lunar rocks. They all sing when they're exposed to moonlight. That's really reaching back in time to a to a TV show, yeah. Yeah, John, I have no idea where that's from. Oh, Green Acres. Really? Yes. I've actually seen that show when it was on television live, you know, like on regular television. But I'm just saying, I don't remember the Moon Rock episode. It's it's the one where the kid no, the, no, the kid stop, builds a spaceship. Stop! It, stop! No! Yep. No! Mr. Douglas, I've got a deal for you. Yeah, I got a deal for you, Mr. Haney. Yes, Mr. Haney, starship, you know, uh, starship salesman. And Mr. Haney would actually show up with one and do that, right? But uh, but also, let, let's think of some more other ones. Like, for example, Mars. It's the um, you know, it, uh, let's say someone made a sword or uh, a shield or something out of Martian. You know, iron, uh, steel, or uh, uh, well, st- uh, whatever, iron, steel, whatever material brought it to Earth. When, you know, he, that person could be therefore be transformed into the uber, you know, combat monster that ever existed. Because you know, you, essentially, you have the, the, you know, something that is just literally practically a piece of the god itself. It'd be the whole ensemble, basically helmet, a chest piece, a shield, a sword. You know, grieves the whole nine yards. I mean, he's got basically dressed like Mars to get the power. There, in LK, in it's funny in the Second World Source book again. It, it I use it a lot in my OGL, and I still use aspects of it today in Pathfinder. They had Martian iron, and it was I think it gave you like a couple of points of penetration, which means DR and hardness. Let's say you had DR ten. 
you'd only get DR8 if you got hit with a Martian iron weapon, or you mm. would gain an extra two points of armor bonus with the Martian iron if you were to make armor. It, yeah, mm-hmm. it would give you extra protection and extra hitting power at the very least. At uh, the compass- very most, if you were to go this god route, yeah, you could end up being a combat monster due to the the power infused by what we believe about Mars slash Ares. A, bu- a bow can- inlaid with uh, lo- with, lun- with uh, lunar minerals, Diana, Diana. Goddess of the Hunt, you now have a bow that you can pick someone off at 10 miles. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, I don't know what you could get off of some of the other ones. I mean, all the planets are associated with a god. I mean, Jupiter, Saturn, I'm not sure which one that is, Neptune. Oh, Saturn, Saturn is Kronos, the the father of all the gods who, who yeah, ate the them Titan. all. Except, yeah, yeah, who instead, but instead, instead of his uh, Zeus, which is Jupiter, who basically he swallows it as a stone, and then, and then basically Jupiter freed his, his brothers and sisters by cracking open the head of his, of his father. In each of the planets of the solar system, and probably its attendant moons, okay, could be used, be a place where you could find uh, either specific veins or materials that could be used to, you know, you know, for for vastly powerful items, and might even be ways of coming to some, some solutions that you're you know that you, you're looking for in your game uh, it might be a reason to go out into space is because you need some some of that jovian uh, you know ice crystals for something you know I'm just saying so uh, you know that's these are all reasons why you go out into the solar system that have nothing to do with actually there being a supernatural monster and and all the unintended consequences that would come with bringing that um, elemental materials back to Earth. Pluto. Oh, there you go. It's got, you know, the, the god of the underworld. Yeah. Uh, and Sharon. Sure. I would say Sharon, the moon. It, well, yeah. it, or double planet, depending on how they're looking at it now. Yeah. Dwarf planet. Yeah, yeah. Dwarf planet. But basically, you could, you know, Sharon was, what was Sharon again? The boat to Hades. Ferryman of the Styx River. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you could use material from there to fashion a vessel to travel to the yeah, underworld. Rightly, which I probably don't. What? The Mercury corresponded to the Hermes. Yes. So mm. if you were to get something from Mercury, that might induce speed. Oh, there think- you go. There's your FTL ship. It's made on mercuric iron. And aluminum and magnetism and whatever elements are on. Okay, doing all this, I would say definitely this would be, all of this would be magical based. Yes. Based on Greek, you know, if you were to bring Greek-based mythos in. Greco-Roman, yeah. Greco-Roman. Yeah, Greco-Roman, yeah. That's Yeah, but then, yeah, still, mercury, mercurial iron, and you have a starship made of that, or at least a, oh, yeah. That, there's your hyperdrive. You would just sit there and, I mean, you could sit there and just somehow sacrifice to Hermes. Activate it and boom, you're gone. Whatever the sacrifice to Hermes is, that's how you fire, fire it up. <laughs> yeah. So bring along plenty of sheep. And, you know, if you actually did this sort of thing, okay, you would feed power back into the uh, that particular godly mythos possibly causing return of those gods or their avatars to Earth. 
Oh, Mount Olympus gets populated again. <laughs> yeah. Or at the very least, the, the portal to the dimension of Olympus, which is probably accessible at the top of that mountain in Greece, would become open again. And from there, you would have stuff, let's say, a rise in cryptozoological appearances on the Grecian Peninsula. Medusa, centaurs, cyclops, wandering around the Grecian countryside, and nobody knows why. That would the be a Kraken. Heck of a, that yeah, that would be a heck of a thing for the viewer to realize, thinking, "Oh yeah, we mir- we did all this and mined all that. Oh crap, we did what? Oops." <laughs> and that doesn't include any of the other beliefs in the uh, that's held by like the Chinese. Mythos, what do they think about the plants or those lights in the sky? Um, American Indians, they had a lot of beliefs about light, the various lights in the sky too. So as you move out into those mythological locations, you can expect that those mythological things are going to start manifesting themselves. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the uh, the Egyptian god, gods, you know, based on the plants, really radically different from the god from from the uh, gods that arose from the Middle East slash um, um, Central from Eastern Eastern Europe, Greece and Rome and stuff like that. So yeah, you got all kinds of things uh, going on there. Uh, and also, don't forget, several of the gods in Egypt are tied to stars. So, like Cirrus is 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 Ra is tied to is tied to a couple of gods, and of course the sun is tied to uh, Ra. And hey, you know, this, the, you could start working on those things too, and you know, it'd be one heck of a, or shall we say, one hell of a, uh, one heck of a situation going there, trying to figure out how to make how, how to do everything and get it to go. I was, that could I, I, be something that that would be another way to do it is like mm-hmm. pick a ancient civilization's mythos and just go that accordingly and there you could have an entire campaign based on magic and space travel due to that mythos and it could just be something that the bureau stumbles in and ends up becoming space travelers, either willing or unwilling. So, yeah, as we said, there's many, many ways that Bureau 13 in space can go about through either arcane magic, divine magic, tech. We've already mentioned psionic teleporters taking you up to bedroom eye. So, yeah, there's, there's a myriad of methods that Bureau 13 in space could be done. And it just it depends on what you feel comfortable using, what you're willing to cherry pick to use, how far you're willing to go against scale is very important in this type of campaign. Do you want to just keep it in the solar system? Do you want to go into deep space, other side of the galaxy, other galaxies? That's all dependent on what your gaming needs are. I mean, is there anything other, else that we would have that we've missed that I'm I'm not coming with anything other than covering possible scenarios? Well, I mean, we started that in the beginning. Basically, yeah. us getting out into space would probably be because most we likely something comes to us. Yeah. Either an alien, an artifact, we we sense an impending threat coming, like 
an advanced scout or Colonel Talbot decides to get the Raiders together and has them explore just for the purposes of knowing what's out there so we are ready for it. Because Talbot would have experience with dealing with worlds that have portals out in the Star Hub platform and fringe travelers come back. She would have experience with that. So as I said, there's many, many reasons why Bureau 13 would go into space. But most of them would be something probably comes to Earth and the Bureau has to deal with it and possibly go out to deal with the threat mm-hmm. yeah. in whatever way they do, either diplomatically creating a new alliance or the Bureau may have a new enemy on their hands with with powers and technology mm-hmm. and gadgets and forces that the Bureau may not be ready to deal with yet. Mm-hmm. It's something they may end up having to learn a whole new method of warfare to deal with these totally different beings. Yeah. I think other things, too, having a like finding a craft spaceship and so and the people who find it. Well, it's now for a reason. It's now their ship. You know, you know, maybe they bonded with it or somehow they're now they're human, but they also now have been bonded with the spaceship. So they're not quite human anymore and the bureau's got to deal with them you know and hopefully turn them into a team one of the easiest ways to get technology from aliens is if the aliens come here break their spaceship and they have to enlist the aid of of uh, humans to repair their spaceship this leaves behind a lot of artifacts it may leave behind people well trained in the uh, principles of their technology um, and you know, and enough spare parts left over that they might be able to make a serviceable spaceship of their own after the aliens have left. If you're running any of the published adventures, there's a spaceship in New York City. We've got the one with the roach. Okay, uh, there's the one I wrote, which was kind of like the roach story, uh, and. Uh, uh, he, his spaceship was in orbit, and he was being teleported in and out of it. Uh, there was the one where Grandma doesn't know me anymore, where aliens were coming and stealing human brains. Uh, there was the uh, the one that Richard wrote, where the little the little um, caterpillar alien um, is got, gets lost, and his robot nannies come looking for him, um, basically plowing down anything in their way. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think what else we had. Um, of course, you know, the, the whole, um, uh, uh, adventure that I, I wrote about on, on the moon, the, the, uh, the, uh, and, and on bedroom eye. I'm trying to remember if any of the lost files had anything to do with aliens. I don't recall them having anything to do with aliens. Um, I, I, I basically, most of the, uh, alien adventures outside of the one with the, well, and uh, and there was the happiness plot, right? Oh yes, that's right. Yes, most of the adventure, I mean, the adventures that were released by uh, by Alpo's Games uh, for TriTac, those you know had quite a few that were alien adventures. Even the oh, Aliens Among Us. Well, that was the one it was in. So there was the whole book was about alien incursion. So there was like six adventures in that. 
so uh, and, and many of them included Flash Jervis and a number of other characters that uh, don't get too much play in a lot of adventures. Um, but uh, anyway, so I, I was, you know, there's a there's a lot of material out there that you can use to get yourself started. And in almost all those adventures we're talking about, it's quite possible for aliens to leave behind enough artifacts that they could be used to jumpstart some kind of a uh, bureau program beyond what is already in existence with the moon base. Uh, you could actually get people traveling out to the various moons and, and planets of the solar system with those kinds of technologies. Now, I, I don't know if you mentioned this, Trav, but because of Colonel Shea Talbot, it makes sense that you know if you if Bureau 13 was to establish bases on other planets, they would put them right next to the portals. Well, yeah, because I mean, just the the, the ability to uh, re, you know equip them through the portal makes it just a, a, a crazy not to. Oh yeah, I mean, you know why take all that risk of sending. Um, uh, because one of the biggest risks, of course, is, is all the supply runs you'd have to do to keep those things going. But if you have the base right next to a portal where you can just basically throw, you know, RE, uh, REIs by the truckload through for the uh, the people in the base, well, then not, that's very covert. Yeah. 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 You can all. And it's also a good. It's also a good way of bailing out your um, your teams if they go to a world where it turns out that there are aliens already there and or natives, I should say, uh, who are inimical. Well, you know, instead of having to go all the way back to Earth, you know, depending upon the travel time to get help, you know, going through the fringe paths and throwing equipment and armor and and weaponry as necessary through um, by you know Shea Talbot's. Um, uh, team, the Raiders, it makes per, you know it makes a lot more sense than the alternative. Yeah, I mean, hauling one of those uh, cargo containers that uh, Paul talked about that contained the uh, a weapon system, you just set up and operate at that point. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, basically, it's you, you remember the robot machine guns from Aliens? That's what you can get these oh, days. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, setting that stuff up. Uh, of course, you want to be careful if you're on a place where where you have uh, cybernetic uh, cybernetic uh, crit critters taking things over. You don't want to bring the remotely controlled machine guns to that world. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't want the you don't want the natives getting busy with your uh, weapon pod. No, oh, it's so no. quaint. Look at this technology. It's so quaint. <laughs> You know, a club might be primitive, but it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that was all I had. Um, so I, I think we're, I'm, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure we've covered most of it. Um, so I want to thank everybody uh, for listening to this podcast. Uh, we hope that you'll enlarge your Bureau 13 campaign to include the idea of space travel, whether inner system or in, uh, uh, intra system or inner system. And we, uh, and remember that there are plenty of aliens or natives on those other planets because it is the Bureau 13 universe. So there is, you know, plenty of opportunities for the supernatural to exist on worlds that otherwise would be too inimical for them to be, uh, to live. You know, by our understanding of things like physics and, and biology and, and stuff like that. So don't let that limit you. So fly high. 
uh, you know, carry carry your uh, 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 your preferred holy symbol. And remember that uh, when they say a wing and a prayer, you can now you can now say a rocket jet and a prayer. But we'll have other crazy uh, ideas for how to enhance your campaign and enlarge the scope of what it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you're doing, um, here at the TriTech Games Podcast uh, next week. Until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying. There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.